Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Wednesday's edition or Hump Day's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. It is much appreciated. So hopefully you enjoyed the collaboration between Sean and I um, over at Guyanese Sports Pod. Him and I did a two-part collaboration, which took place for our Wednesday, uh, Friday and Monday's episode, and today on Wednesday is the first time we're recording here in my own studio where it's just going to be me giving you anything and everything sports related. It's been a while since I recorded one of these, actually last week, last Wednesday's episode was the last time that I did this, so it almost feels like it's been a long time since I've recorded, so do forgive me if I feel a little rusty. But we do have a tremendous amount of sports to get into today. But before I do so, I just want to thank every one of you for downloading, listening, and enjoying. It is much appreciated, both on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. I've been posting some videos there. It's going really well so far, much better than I ever thought. If you haven't already, definitely go check it out. It is Merv's Boston Sports Talk. That is the name of the YouTube channel. Go give that a check out and to see if you enjoy it. There's a bunch of stuff on there. There's a couple vlogs from Florida, quizzes, home run derbies, and also the podcast itself. So without further ado, without further ado, we have to get into, obviously, March Madness. Now, I wanted to pull it up on my computer so I could share my screen, but I think I'm a little stupid and either the the thing didn't get saved or what... And if you're listening on Spotify, Amazon, all the other audio platforms, then this won't be a problem because you're not going to see it. So let me adjust my mic. So looking at the first division and March Madness, we have the Western Division where Gonzaga handedly beated Norfolk State by almost 50 points. So that was an easy win for all of us, I would assume. Oklahoma beating Missouri by four. I had Missouri, and I was a little upset about that because I did think Missouri was a better team. But Oklahoma definitely flexed their their muscle in that one, able to kind of pull it out bigger and better than Missouri. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I do want to kind of go over some of the few highlighted ones. Uh, Creighton beating UCSB by one point. That was a close game. Uh, we've had a lot of upsets, which I'll get into, but... Wow, that could have been a that could have been a bracket buster for me right there because I've Creighton in the Sweet 16 where they are now. 
Uh, let me check. Yeah, going against Gonzaga. So, that was a close game that could have really ended early. And if you hear my stomach growling, I'm sorry. I'm trying to eat a shake. Like a protein shake, you know, trying to drink, eat a protein shake, whatever. You know what I mean? Um, moving to Virginia and Ohio. Ohio knocks down Virginia in the first round, 62-58. to 58. Unbelievable game. Um, Virginia has gotten so much crap over the past few years. I mean, 2018, they lost in the first round as the one seed to a 16. Then they win the tournament the year after that. COVID, and then they lose again in the first round. Are they a good collegiate team? Yes. Are they, you know, in the upper echelons of, you know, the UNCs, the Dukes, the Kentuckys? Well, those teams maybe not this year, but generally speaking, no, not at all. Um, let's skim down to Oregon and VCU. I had VCU winning this game, and they easily could have won this game. It never actually happened because of COVID. So Oregon, so the game was, uh, I forget what it was termed as, um, I don't know. But anyways, Oregon won one nothing because of COVID. So VCU couldn't play because they had like four players, I think, um, come down with COVID. So uh, with that, it's just an easy Oregon win. A little upset about that because I think if the game played out, I think VCU had that upset there. But it is what it is. Moving down to the Eastern Division, we have, let's take a look, Florida State beating UNC Greensboro, 64-54. That's a close game at first. But then Florida State, you know, kind of really started to pull away a little bit and really kind of flexed their muscle that they're a legitimate team for this year. Uh, will that hold true throughout the rest of the the rest of the tournament? We're going to have to wait and see. But when you think of Florida State, you more more so think of football rather than basketball. All right, moving down to 3 Texas versus 14 Abilene Christian. Wow, that was a game right there. That was a game where Abilene Christian won by 1 point, 53 to 52. Um, I believe that was the first the first upset of the tournament right there. It was Texas getting slapped out of the first round that early. So close. Uh, Texas came back a little bit there towards the end, but they, you know, ended up being just, just short. And then they go to lose the next round to UCLA. I'll get to that in a minute, but this year's tournament was just filled with upsets. There was big upsets. There were small upsets. I mean, I kind of skipped it, but UCLA beating BYU 73-62. to I think that was, I don't want to say an easy shoeing game, but it was a really good game there. I didn't really want to talk about it too much because I did kind of talk about it on Wednesday's episode that, Regardless if it's UCLA or Michigan State, I think they were going to beat BYU in either way. But Texas losing to Abilene Christian 53-52 was a bracket buster there because a lot of people had Texas, I believe, in the Elite Eight and even the Final Four. So that's tough for some of those people. I did not. I had them going as far as, oh goodness, I had them in the Sweet 16 losing to Alabama there. So I'm not too butthurt about it. Um, moving down, moving down, UConn 63 over, I'm sorry, Maryland 63, uh, 54 over UConn, Wisconsin easily beating UNC 85 to 62. I was an advocate of UNC this year. I thought they had the better coaching, you know, the better program. 
Clearly, that did not matter as 9 Wisconsin easily beat 8 North Carolina by 23 points. Wow. They move on to the second round to play Baylor, which I'll get into later. But this is just not a good year for programs that are normally good or relatively good year in, year out. Like I mentioned, you know, Duke and Kentucky, they're not in it. Michigan State was good, but, you know, they kind of fell short a little bit. But to see North Carolina get slapped like that, if they're going to lose, they're going to lose. I mean, that's you can't do nothing about that, but slapped? Ooh, that's not good over there. Um, moving on, moving on. Oh, yes, North North Texas beating Purdue 78-69. I was a big advocate for the Boilmakers um, this year. They lost by 9 to North Texas, uh, 13. Well, 13 seeded North Texas while Purdue was 4. So another 13-4 upset right there. North Texas, they can play. They can play some good defense. Let me tell you that. I mean, I know they gave up 69 points, but to the Purdue Oilmakers, that's a really good that's a really good game right there. It's just again a lot of good upsets this year, and it's you don't predict that when you're you know filling out your bracket. I mean, you can predict some upsets, maybe like a seven ten, you know, uh, eight nine, but to have two four thirteens and maybe two five twelves, like what? Okay. All right, moving down, moving down. Uh, Virginia Tech lost 75-70 to 7 Florida. I had Virginia Tech. I thought they were the better team, but, you know, the Florida Gators, you know, really showed out. Ended up, I think they came, no, I think they were winning that whole game. I don't remember exactly if they were winning or or not that whole game. But nonetheless, good game there. But the game of the round 15 Oral Roberts University beating number two Ohio State 75 72. What? What? No one, no one on God's green earth saw this one coming. No one predicted this. I mean, Ohio State, a powerhouse team, a Final Four, Elite Eight favorite. I mean, I guess you could go on a limb and make arguments for the championship game if, you know, you're that kind of uh, OSU nutcase. But Oral Roberts took took leads, uh, played defense. They didn't blow the game. This was a perfect game. And you could even say the same thing about the, um, where is it? I'm trying to scroll here. About the Abilene Christian and Texas game where the underdog is in an unfamiliar situation where they blow the game and you know because the other team has better players better coaches you know kind of know what they're doing in crunch time so they can bear down while these other teams you know they looking on the other side and there's oh my god there's number two seed like you know they're a big name school what are we doing here but you didn't see that from oral roberts they bared down themselves and they were really able to get that w wow that's I mean, I'm going to say this about all of them, but this is a bracket buster itself. I think leaving the first round, there was only 15 perfect perfect brackets remaining, I believe it was, out of like, I don't know, 10, 15 million. So, my goodness, my goodness. Um, I had Georgia Tech in the Sweet 16, and they lost in the first round to Loyola, Chicago. Uh, Sister Jean there, she is, she's something. You know, she is a wagon in uh, Loyola, Chicago. So 
I, you know, I'm upset that Georgia Tech couldn't get out of the first round. I thought they played very well this year, and they could have won that game, except it got away from them a little bit late. But overall, good season from the Yellow Jackets, and it's good to see Loyola Chicago a wagon as they beat Illinois in the second round, which I'll get into later on. Um, number 12, Oregon State beat number 5, Tennessee, 70-56. to Interesting game there. I didn't see that one playing out the way it did, but Oregon State just got out to a massive lead in the first half, and Tennessee just wasn't able to come back from it, ultimately losing by 14. Oklahoma State beating Liberty 69-60. That was a good close game. Oklahoma State really had to bear down and dig themselves out of an early first-half deficit, but they ended up doing so, and that kind of had me on the ropes because I had Oklahoma in the Final Four. Let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it, guys. Uh, I know they lost the next round, but just just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. <laughs> um, Syracuse beating San Diego State 78-62. Do not bet against the zone. I told you this. I told you this on Wednesday. I My house heater just went on, so I apologize for the, the noise. Um, I told you this on Wednesday. I was like, that 2-3 zone is going to win them a few games and so far it has and it's been quite a shocker i'm not gonna lie um 10 ruckers beating seven clemson 60 56 i mean those 7 10 matchups i'm not too like wow oh my god the 10 seed won because when it comes to like 7 10 8 9 they're relatively even games you could even argue the 6 11 is an even game as well but this one, it is what it is. I had Clemson winning. I thought they were the better program. But Rutgers getting, you know, the dub. I think it was like their first, <coughs> excuse me, their first ever March Madness win, I believe. And then Houston handily beating Cleveland State 87-57. Moving over to the second round, or the round of 32. Um, any notables? Any notables? Um, oh, yes. USC beating Kansas 85-51. I had Kansas winning that game and it was kind of close early on. Kansas was kind of trying to dig themselves out, but USC just put the hammer down and wasn't able to do so. So the 6 seed moves on there beating the 3 seed and Kansas. This game, this next game was quite interesting. It was a shootout. My goodness. Uh 7 Oregon beating 2 Iowa 95-80. Luca Garza couldn't couldn't help his team as he claimed in his postgame presser. Um, great collegiate career. Definitely going to be interested to see where he goes in the draft come, I don't know, whatever the draft is um, in the summer. So, <clears throat> kind of need oh, Iowa there. I had them in the Elite Eight. Yeah, I had them in the Elite Eight. So, that's kind of uh, tough right there to swallow. But, you know, it is what it is. USC and Oregon, that's going to be a good game. A game I don't think anyone expected them to be there. So it will be very interesting to see where that game goes. Um, UCLA beating Abilene Christian 67-47. So that little Cinderella story ended really quickly. But it was fun to fun to watch that team you know, ride it out. Alabama beating Maryland 96-77. Um, <laughs> Villanova beating... 13 North Texas 84 61. So that Cinderella story ended really early. Arkansas, three Arkansas beating six Texas Tech 68 66. That was a doozy. 
that was a really doozy that came down to the wire. I mean, when you look at, let's see, I had Arkansas in the Elite Eight. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I had them in the Elite Eight, so I needed that dub. I really do, uh, did because obviously a couple other games didn't go my way. And if we can get back to it, here we go. Texas Tech easily could have won that game. I really feel like that they blew it late in that game. I mean, it was back and forth. It felt like it was back and forth for the majority of it. And, you know, edgy or seat kind of thing. But Arkansas was able to pull out towards the end there. Can't blame them for how they performed. Then, another, another upset from 15 Oral Roberts. Beating 7 Florida, 81-78. to 78. What a game that was. Oral Roberts... University means business. They're in the Sweet 16. A 15 seed is in the Sweet 16 of the Big Dance. Even though I have Arkansas, where is it? Right there. Even though I have Arkansas um, going into the Elite Eight, I would have absolutely no problem if Oral Roberts won that game. Would have no problem if that was the case because, where is it? They're like the last Cinderella story left. I mean, you see North Texas, they got eliminated. Abilene Christian, they got eliminated. Um, I'll get down to Oregon State in a second, but it's just, who, you've never heard of the school before until this year, just about. I'm very excited to see, you know, how that game's going to play out. Uh, Loyola Chicago beating the one seeded Illinois 71-58. Illinois was a Final Four and a championship favorite getting ousted by Loyola Chicago. I told you, Sister Jean is a wagon. I wish I signed up for this. I wish Georgia Tech and Loyola Chicago weren't playing in the first round because I would definitely have Loyola Chicago in the Elite Eight as a lock, but whew, it's fun to watch now. You see Oregon State beating Oklahoma State 80-70. to Oregon State kind of flexing their muscle that they're the better Oregon, you know, program or the Oregon, the state of Oregon, they're the better state of Oregon program. Sure. Yeah. Between them and Oregon itself, Oregon University, whatever. Uh, Syracuse 11 beating West Virginia 3, 75, 72. Told you do not bet against the 2-3 zone. I actually had this upset in my bracket. Oh, my goodness. Syracuse is giving me a little heart attack, man. And then we go over to Houston, barely beating Rutgers 63-60. The powerhouse Houston squeaks by that dub. And those two will be playing in the second, uh, the third round, the Sweet 16 together, Houston and Syracuse. I have Houston winning that game, but would I be surprised if Syracuse wins? Absolutely not. So moving over to the Sweet 16, let's just kind of recap what matchups will be come Saturday. I'll talk more about college basketball on Friday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, so definitely stay tuned for that. But recapping really quickly, really quickly, excuse me, we will have one Gonzaga versus five Creighton. We will have six UC, USC versus seven Oregon. My goodness, I, all these initials and abbreviations. We'll have one Michigan versus four Florida. We'll have 11 UCLA versus two Alabama. One Baylor versus five Villanova. 3 Arkansas versus 15 Oral Roberts, 8 Loyola Chicago versus 12 Oregon State, and 11 Syracuse versus 2 Houston. That Midwest division is wonky, let me tell you. 8-12-11-2. That is a wonky, wonky 
division. Um, game I'm looking forward to the most has to be that Loyola-Chicago-Oregon State game. I really feel like that could be a critical game for both teams. If Loyola-Chicago wins, I think that they could and potentially would beat the winner of the Syracuse-Houston game. Oregon State will definitely have a tougher matchup going against uh, the 2-3 zone that Syracuse runs, and they'll have difficulty going up against Houston's high-powered offense. Another game I'm looking forward to, Creighton's been playing really well, and so hasn't Gonzaga. It'll be interesting to see you know those two kind of clash and you know duke it out. But Arkansas Oral Roberts, 3 versus 15, that has to be the other game I need to watch. ORU, Oral Roberts University is is just reeking and breaking brackets, dude. It just it is what it is for them and they're just like, "Your bracket? Screw it." "Oh, your bracket? Screw it." <laughs> they're just so funny and they might do that to me because like I said, I've Arkansas in the Elite 8. But that's going to wrap it up for a little bit of Tournament Challenge March Madness 2021 chatter. It's a great time to be a sports fan, and there's so much going on right now. I mean, March Madness obviously ties everyone in together. Football free agency is going on. It, Patriots have been super active, which I've talked about you know, recently on the podcast. Then you look at hockey and basketball they're both grooving mid-season you know all-star breaks kind of coming and going trade deadlines coming and going baseball just started up they're still they're in the middle of spring training right now so you know a phenomenal season ahead for baseball hopefully but speaking of baseball I want to go over the major league baseball divisions and who I think will win each division now I love doing this every time of year, you know, this time of year, because sometimes you you can pick the obvious winners and, you know, look back at it and be like, oh, yeah, I knew that. Or sometimes, you know, I feel like at least one division has a sneaky, sneaky winner. And I'm going to give you my uh, projections. I think they're bold. I think they're, you know, no-brainers. And we just kind of have to see if you agree with me, because some of these are controversial and they deserve some discussion some of them like i said are no-brainers and we're just gonna have to see you know while you're listening if you agree with me on what what my projections are so i'm just gonna kind of start from the back of the national league west and i'm gonna work all my my way up to the american league east where i think the most discussion will be obviously with the red sox in that division so looking at the national league west you have the los angeles dodgers san diego padres arizona diamondbacks san francisco giants and the colorado rockies I'm just going to start by saying the Colorado Rockies will not be in anywhere near contention after trading Nolan Arenado. San Diego Padres made a bunch of great moves this offseason. They really made a name for themselves. And if the Dodgers weren't in the same division, they would be a lock for the division winner in whatever division they're in. Since they share the same division as the Los Angeles Dodgers, it is a very tough, tough one to pick. It really is. Now, you can make an argument for the Padres. But I just think that the Los Angeles Dodgers are way too good of a team. They have so much, so much talent on both sides, both offensively, defensively. Not even I haven't even mentioned the pitching. I haven't even mentioned the pitching yet. And they have studs in their rotation. They have a good, solid lineup. It's just everything you want from a team. 
they could easily go back to back in terms of World Series this year. So I'm going to lock in the Los Angeles Dodgers as my National League West division winner. Moving over to the National League Central. Very interesting here. Now you have the Milwaukee Brewers, the Chicago Cubs, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Cincinnati Reds, and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Similar to the Colorado Rockies, the Pittsburgh Pirates traded away Josh Bell to the Washington Nationals. And though they had Bell for the past few years, the the Pittsburgh Pirates just aren't anywhere where they need to be. They are going to be in the bottom of the barrel in terms of the division again this year. Now you look at a couple other teams. You look at the St. Louis Cardinals, who who I just talked about, Nolan Arenado. They actually traded for him. And then you look at the Chicago Cubs. They're trying to retool and you know kind of I don't want to say rebuild, but kind of restart that franchise a little bit to get back to contention where they weren't so much last year. And then you look at the Milwaukee Brewers again. They went out. They made some moves. Hopefully, Christian Yelich can play back to his MVP standard. He had a big down year last year, but you can't really hold hold it against him because everyone did so as well. Overall, I really I really think this is going to be an interesting race to watch because the Cincinnati Reds were dancing a little bit last year, so they could be sneaky. I have them around a 500 team. The Cubs, they got a bunch of good pieces still. They're going to try to make a push for the playoffs like they do every year. You know, they're always buying lately. But I really think it's going to be between the Cardinals and the Brewers. So, you know, if you're listening at home, at work, in the car, wherever you're listening, if you're going to take the other team from me that I'm about to choose, I have no complaints. So I personally think it's going to be the St. Louis Cardinals division this year. I really think that that Nolan Arenado trade throws them over the top. The Cardinals still have some problems that they need to address in terms of starting pitching. However, say they can address that or figure it out on the fly, I really think they're going to be a tough, hard team to beat and bet against. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, I mean, their heart and soul of that team is Christian Yelich. And if he doesn't perform this year, then they're going to be in the middle of the pack because they have a lot of good pieces. They, you know, have a good pl- a bunch, bunch of good players, excuse me, pitching rotation included. It's just, I don't know. Something tells me that, you know, the Cardinals went out. They made a big splash getting Arenado. And I really think that's going to be the difference maker for the Cardinals to throw them over the top. But like I said, you know, if you think the Brewers are going to win the division, I'm not going to argue with you there. That is a good logical pick. Moving over to the National League East, where we have the New York Mets, the Washington Nationals, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Atlanta Braves, and the Florida, excuse me, the Miami Marlins. I wish they were still the Florida Marlins, or at least the colorway of the Florida Marlins, because their color scheme now where it's just red, white, uh, red, black, and blue. So basic. It is so damn basic. But like the Pittsburgh Pirates and like the Colorado Rockies, you can expect the Miami Marlins to probably be the bottom of the pack this year. Last year, they were able to be sneaky and make it into one of the 16 playoff spots. In the shortened season where it was last year, 60 games, a bunch of teams can get out to a hot start. And then over the course of a regular season, they'll kind of fizzle out come summer. I think the Miami Marlins were a perfect example of that case. You know, if last year was to be a full season, they probably would have kind of dwindled down towards the summer and towards the end of it. Overall, they're a good team. They got some young pieces, but I just don't think over the course of the season that they can compete with the other contenders in that division. The Phillies, they still have a bunch of good players on that team as well. It just feels like they're always a couple pieces too short every year. Ever since they brought in Bryce Harper a few years ago, and JT Realmuto, 
it's just uh, you want to root for the Phillies because you feel like that they got it. They'll get out to a hot start and then they'll sizzle really, really fast. So I'm going to exclude them from this conversation as well. That leaves us with the New York Mets, the Washington Nationals, and the Atlanta Braves. Now, the Nationals, defending World Series champions from the 2019 season, um, they have good pieces. Uh, the John Pirates traded Josh Bell to them, which I mentioned a few moments ago. I really do like that team. You know, I mentioned how they have Juan Soto and Trey Turner. Now they bring in Josh Bell. So they have a bunch of young studs on that team. Now in my uh, top 25 going into 2021 season, I had both Juan Soto and Trey Turner in my top 10, I believe, or 15. I forget where I had Trey Turner, but Juan Soto was like number four. So I really think that those three players right there for the Nationals are really going to help them throw them throw them over the top. Their pitching rotation is still very good. Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, their bullpen. You could probably point some questions at the bullpen there. Moving to the Atlanta Braves, a lot of people this year, for some reason, are down on the Atlanta Braves, and I'm not too sure why. They won the division last year. They brought back just about all their pieces. Um, Marcelo Zuna coming back again, and they even brought in, oh, what's his name? Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton from the Tampa Bay Rays. So why are people so down on the Atlanta Braves this year? They have two young studs in Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies. They brought back Marcel Ozuna. They brought in Charlie Morton, so that pitching rotation, I mean, I guess if you want to point more fingers at it and be questionable about the rotation, Sure. But overall, though, I think this Atlanta Braves team is going to perform good again this year because I don't know about the New York Mets. Year in and year out, it almost seems like that the Mets will go out and make a move, and people think that the Mets are going to win the whole damn thing. Now, Francisco Lindor is no player. He is an extraordinary player. He is one of the top players in our league. But is this man really going to make up the difference for the Mets in terms of the competition that's in their division. Now, let's look at 2019, which was the last full regular season, where the Atlanta Braves finished 97 and 65, the Nationals 93 and 69, and then the Mets 86 and 76. Pretty solid team that year, finished, you know, right in the middle, a little bit more than that. Then let's look over to um, the National League East division for 2020, which was obviously, you know, shortened due to COVID where you have the Atlanta Braves 35 and 25, the Marlins 31 and 29, the Phillies 28 and 32, and then the New York Mets 26 and 34. Now, I see a lot of projections out there where the Mets are going to finish with 95 wins. And in 2019, the Mets had 86. So is Francisco Lindor really going to make up nine wins by himself? I don't know. I don't know. And also in both years that I mentioned, the Atlanta Braves finished in first place by four games, actually, to the Nationals in 19 and to the Marlins in 2020. So it's just going to be very questionable there why a bunch of people are buying into the New York Mets after one Francisco Lindor trade. Excellent player. Great player. Is he going to make up 9 to 10 wins and throw them over the Atlanta Braves? Maybe. But I just don't really see that happening. So I am going to lock in the Atlanta Braves as my National League East division winner. Moving to the junior circuit, the American League, as we look at the American League West, where we have the Houston Astros, the Los Angeles Angels, Oakland A's, or Athletics, 
uh, Seattle Mariners and the Texas Rangers. I almost forgot where the Mariners are from for a second. Texas Rangers opened their brand new stadium last year where they were able to have no fans, but they're going to open up to 100% occupancy this year for opening day. Congrats to them. Just make sure you do it safe and carefully. I don't think that they'll be anywhere in competition at all, nor do I think that the Mariners will be flirting with the division win or the division crown, I should say. That leaves us with the Oakland Athletics, the Los Angeles Angels, and the Houston Astros. Now, the Astros did lose a couple big players in Michael Brantley and George Springer. I still think that they're a really good team, nonetheless. I really think that they're a good team, nonetheless, and that they have a powerhouse lineup still. Their pitching rotation is top tier. Though it's aging, you have Verlander, Zach Greinke, and... Is that going to be en- is that going to be enough to help them win the division? Because you do have the Angels, who hopefully will be healthy this year with Shohei Otani and everyone else on their team. Anthony Rendon, who they signed at the end of 2019, had a miserable 2020 year, but you can't really hold it against them because, like Christian Yelich, everyone else had a miserable season. And then you always have the Oakland Athletics; they're always sneaky. I mean, no one projects them to win the division, but they always kind of come up into the American League playoff picture year in and year out as like a wild card. And if there's ever going to be a year where they win the division, I think they, they can make some noise. You know, having home field, not having to play in the wild card game and burn their best pitcher. You could expect the Athletics to be kind of sneaky and do something if they ever get that chance. But they're going to have to leapfrog the Angels and the Astros. Now, one thing about the Angels is that people always project them to do very, 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 very well. It's like... Why? Because they have Mike Trout? And like, yeah, the best player in baseball, Mike Trout, Mike Trout. It's like, baseball's not basketball. If you have the best player in basketball, you'll go far in the playoffs. But if you have the best player in baseball, that doesn't really mean anything. Because the hitter will get up once every three, two, three innings. You know, the ball has to be hit to them to make the play. And it's like, basketball, you can always have the ball in your hand. You can always shoot. You can always score and all that good stuff. I just don't buy into the hype of the LA Angels. I really don't. Now they have Pujols, you know, Rendon bounces back. They're going to have a great season. Shohei Otani, if his arm is healthy, he needs to pitch well. And he also needs to execute hitting the ball, which I don't think is a problem for him regardless. But the pitching is the big question mark there for the Angels. I don't know who's going to finish second in terms of the Angels or the A's. I really think the Astros will win the division nonetheless. I think that they have the pitching to kind of make up for the loss of players that they had this offseason also they have a great young farm system as well you know Kyle Tucker will easily replace Brantley or Springer in the outfield I'm gonna lock in the Houston Astros here I know there's no more garbage cans that they're able to hit but Astros I think just have a much complete roster in comparison to the Angels and the A's second place runner-up could either be the A's or the Angels I'm not gonna lie because I don't think Mike Trout will do it. I don't think he's enough. And Albert Pujols is aging. Anthony Rendon needs to have a bounce back season. But the Oakland Athletics, they're that sneaky team that people always count out and that you can always expect them to be in it because they're a fun team to watch and a fun team to root for. As we proceed to the middle of the American League with the American League Central, this division is interesting to say the least because a once- powerhouse Detroit Tigers have been a mainstay at the bottom of that barrel and you can expect them to be there again this year then you look at the Minnesota Twins the Cleveland Indians the Chicago White Sox and the Kansas City Royals 
Now the Royals are a familiar team to probably Boston fans because that is where Andrew Benintendi was traded to this past offseason. So is Andrew Benintendi going to make them a contender this year? No. Nope, nope, nope. And I don't think that they have any of the other pieces to compete with the other teams in that division or even buy themselves a wild card spot. Andrew Benintendi is a nice good piece for the Kansas City Royals that if they can sign him to an extension, then he will be a good piece for the next 10 years in Kansas City. But you have to surround him with other players and other talent. Otherwise, you're just going to be muddling around that fourth spot for the next I don't know how many years. Moving over to the Chicago White Sox, the Cleveland Indians, and the Minnesota Twins. Those three are always in, like, it seems like ever since the White Sox, you know, started to become, uh, you know, a name again, it's really kind of interesting to, to debate all three of those teams because you can make a case for all three of them. The Twins, probably the most complete team. They have the hitters. They can play defense. They have some pitching. Then you look at the Indians where they have better pitching and that they have, you know, a good lineup. You know, they have Jose um, Jose Ramirez still in Cleveland. And as they as I mentioned earlier, they traded away Francisco Lindor to the Mets. So you can expect them to take a step back this year as well. But when you have Shane Bieber at the top of your rotation, it's going to be kind of hard to completely count them out. And then you look over at the White Sox where, you know, they have a bunch of good young players. They also have some good veterans as well. Jose Abreu, Yasmani Grandal. Tim Anderson, so it's going to be, that one's so tricky, and the Minnesota Twins have been a mainstay at the top of the division for some time, they've always been in competition for the American League Central and in the wildcard as well, can't get by the Yankees for the life of them in terms of whether it's the first round, the wildcard, whatever it may be, it'll be really interesting to see where the Twins go this year, they brought back Josh Donaldson, I don't really know where I want to go, I think a lot of people are picking the Twins. And I think that's the logical answer. I don't know about the Indians. I don't know how well the Indians are going to fare without Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, as he was also sent to the Mets in that trade. (sighs) Then the White Sox. I mean, they just keep making moves. I mean, they were able to sign Liam Hendricks this year from the Athletics, who is probably one of the best, if not the best, um, relief pitcher in baseball right now. I'm going to go with the Minnesota Twins. I just think overall, as an overall team, they're the most complete team out of those three. I'm going to go White Sox second maybe if I had to pick a second one because I really think that Francisco Lindor deal is going to really push the uh, Indians back. Could I be wrong there? Absolutely. But I just like what the Chicago White Sox are doing. I really have a good feel down there as well for them. Overall, I just, like I said, I think the Twins are too much. I really do. And then we have the American League East Division. To recap, you have the Baltimore Orioles, the Toronto Blue Jays, blue, 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 the Tampa Bay Rays, the New York Yankees, and your Boston Red Sox wrapping up that division. Where is this division going to go? Now, the Yankees powerhouse team they brought back everyone they needed to um dj lemay who's re-signed who was an excellent player last year is he a top 25 player going into this year i don't think so but you know great team over there in the bronx then you got the tampa bay rays now 
the Rays were a great team last year. They made it to the World Series, losing to the Dodgers. You know, a great season, can't hold it against them for losing. A lot of teams are going to lose to that Dodgers team last year. And if, you know, history repeats itself, a lot of teams are probably going to lose to the Dodgers this year again. Now, they traded away Blake Snell. They lost Charlie Morton to free agency, who he went to the Braves. How good are the Rays really going to be? Now, they got a haul back from the Padres for Blake Snell. So they didn't lose out on anything there. Are the Rays still going to be good? Are they going to be the second or best team in the division? I don't know. If I'm going to say yes or no, I'm going to say no. But next year, I could totally see them being that second or best team next year. And then we go over to the Blue Jays. They made some noise. They made some big signings, big trades. I can really see the Blue Jays making noise. Now, could it happen You know, this year? Yes. I think it's going to happen more next year as well. It's going to take some time for that team to meld and mold together where, you know, everyone else in that division is kind of competitive, so it could be tough. Now, could they have bought themselves a playoff spot and the division potentially from all those moves? Yeah, I could totally see that, and it's completely different than it was like it is in football or basketball. I think bringing players in that weren't on your team can mold right into the system. I think with football and basketball, it kind of takes some time for that new player to fit in. So I could see the Blue Jays really popping off this year, though they have some new faces on that team. Also, you have to keep in mind they have some familiar young faces, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Vlad Jr. I'm really interested. They're probably one of my favorite teams to watch this year, the Toronto Blue Jays, because I really feel like that they could make some noise, that they're going to be exciting to watch, and they're going to be an overall good team. That brings you to the Baltimore Orioles. They flirted with the playoff spot last year in COVID's shortened season. They just missed um, one of the low-level seeds in the American League by a few games. Middle of that season, they really got hot, and they were really kind of you know flirting with the Yankees for that second spot in the East, where the Yankees almost didn't have a wild-card spot. But then you see that the Orioles eventually fell off, which if the season was longer, you would have saw it with the Marlins as well because teams get hot, teams get cold. Orioles got hot at the right time, but they just sizzled out a little too early, and the Marlins didn't. So I feel like they're both in the same boat relatively, both young teams, you know, kind of playing for next year almost, and, you know, given the right time that they both can eventually shine again. But as of now, I don't think the Orioles will be anywhere where they need to be. Could they be a problem towards the end of the year when they're out of the playoff picture and they're just getting a bunch of their young guys to play, and they want to try to be spoilers for the rest of the division? Absolutely. Could they be a problem next year? Absolutely. I could see that. Orioles could be an interesting team in a couple years once their younger players develop. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, Adley Rushman. So keep on a lookout for the Baltimore Orioles. And then we have your Boston Red Sox. As I don't think they'll be in last place, but I wanted to talk about them last because I have the most to say about the Red Sox. A lot of people think that we will see almost what we saw last year in the Red Sox, and that was to suck. Now, you could absolutely make that argument. And then there's a lot of people out there that are going to be like, oh, well, the Red Sox will turn it around. You know, Alex Cora's back. Their hitters are back. Pitching will be, you know, slowly coming back when Chris Sale gets healthy. And now Erod is going to make the opening day start. So he's healthy. And you can absolutely make that argument as well. But... 
what what can you expect the Red Sox to ultimately do? Now, if you're going to bet, you're probably going to bet that they do good because as a Boston sports fan, you want them to do good. You want them to perform at the highest level. You want them to go out there and win championships year in and year out, at least be competitive. Last year, that was not the case. They were not competitive at all. They were abysmal. I don't even want to go back and look at the standings because it was just so freaking gross. I mean, the only good thing that came from the Red Sox sucking so bad is that I was able to enjoy other teams and their success, such as the Orioles flirting with the playoff spot and the Marlins getting into the playoffs. So at the end of the day, where can we expect the Boston Red Sox to finish? Now, I mentioned how good the Yankees are with their lineup, and then you bring in Corey Kluber and James Italian from the Pirates. What? Like, oh my goodness, pitching was a problem for the Yankees, and then they go out and get more pitching. A-plus move. A-plus move. You know, you bring back DJ LeMahieu, who was arguably MVP last year. Plus, you have, you know, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but you get the picture. Tampa Bay Rays made it to the World Series last year, traded away their best pitcher, lost their other pitcher. What can you expect with them? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. I can. I'm gonna say that they're not gonna make it to the World Series. I feel like that's not too, uh, too drastic of a uh, projection, right? But the Blue Jays, they're really gonna be the wild card, not the wild card team, like you know, in terms of you know, seeding and placement. But they're really a like a joker kind of team. They could either be really good this year with the players that they brought in. Or they could be the Blue Jays of Blue Jays and not be good at all and just be a bunch of hype. I, I, I want the Red Sox to finish first in the division, and they could. But I'm going to have to give it to the Yankees here. I really think that the New York Yankees will win the division in the American League East. Would I be surprised if they don't? No. I could totally see the Blue Jays doing it. But it's going to have to be a phenomenal season from the Blue Jays. And if the Yankees run into some injuries like they have a couple years now in a row, years past, you could see the Yankees slip a little bit. You really could. Now, will it be enough for the Blue Jays to take advantage? Maybe. Would it be a tough for the, uh, enough for the Red Sox to take advantage? Maybe. It will just have to see. We really will. I mean, I hate rooting and hoping for injuries on anyone's team, especially good teams. And, you know, hopefully the Yankees will be able to be healthy this year because, you know, they are a fun team to watch at the end of the day. They are a really good, interesting, fun team to watch. And I don't know. As it stands right now, I'm going to pick the Yankees, but I will not be surprised or I will not ignore arguments for the other, you know, Blue Jays, Red Sox, and maybe the Rays as well. But if you're going to try to throw the Orioles at me that, oh, the Orioles will win the division because of this, I'm just not going to answer and listen. I'm sorry, that's just how it is. But nonetheless, those are all my baseball division predictions for the winners of said divisions. I will recap briefly. In the National League West, I have the Los Angeles Dodgers. In the National League Central, I have the St. Louis Cardinals. The National League East, I have the Atlanta Braves. In the American League West, we have the Houston Astros. The American League Central, the Minnesota Twins. And in the American League East, the New York Yankees. But I could be convinced of other teams. And I could be convinced of other teams in all the divisions as well. Just because that's what I'm picking doesn't mean I'm right. I would love to hear what you have to say as well. 
So if you're listening on audio platforms, definitely reach out to me at Murphs underscore Boston ST on Twitter and on Instagram where the ST stands for Sports Talk. I would love to hear what you have to say if my projections are accurate, could be correct, could be right, could be wrong, or awful. I mean, you might tell me that the Miami Marlins should be projected to win the National League East, and I want to hear why. Also, if you're uh, watching on YouTube, leave a comment down below. Give me your thoughts as well there, and if you haven't already, throw a like rating on this video as well. That shows me great support for the channel and the podcast itself. Also, if you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing to stay in tuned for all of Murph's Boston Sports Talks podcast episodes and also YouTube exclusive only content. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining me today for Hump Day's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. It is Wednesday. I will see you on Friday. And come Friday will be the end of the week. And hopefully you all had a great week come next episode. But until then, as always, you know it. I love you. See ya. I hate when this shit happens. Oh my goodness. So I finish recording the episode and I go to export it to MP3 file. Sorry, my mic is so far away. And I go to check my phone really quickly just to catch up on text messages or anything. And then boom, three minutes ago, I see ESPN saying, James White and the Patriots agree to a one-year contract. Whoa, let's go. Let's go. I don't want to scream because I don't know what's going on upstairs. But let's go. I mean, I love James White. I'm going to go much more into this on Friday's episode when I find more about the details of the contract. But I really think bringing back James White was an exponential move and a critical move if the Patriots are serious about being contenders for the AFC East, the division, and if they have any, any Super Bowl thoughts at all. They needed James White. He is a great complimentary back to probably Damian Harris going to be the starter, James White being that pass-catching third down back who is versatile, basically a receiver in the backfield, and causes immense uh, matchup problems as well. But James White coming back to the Patriots on a one-year deal is massive. I can't wait to find out more about this, and I'll talk about more about it more on Friday. Holy crap, I was mumbling. I'm just so super excited. All right, guys, I will see you on Friday's episode, but until then, as always, see ya. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details